I just want to start in prayer. Would you just close your eyes? And we gather because of one name and we are here for one name and you don't give up time on a precious Wednesday afternoon unless you want to encounter God. And I believe he longs to encounter you. And as we're just praying in worship, I was just reminded that we each have a history with God and he values our history. And so as we begin tonight, we just lock eyes with you, Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you, not for one moment of the day, don't have us on your mind, that you have been present in every season of life, God. I thank you when we didn't acknowledge you that you were so with us. And I just thank you that today that you are just even redeeming our past. Father, I thank you that you are preparing our hearts to receive your word. I thank you, God, that we would encounter you. We would encounter your love. And in that love, Father, that we would go out and love this world. I thank you. Everything I say is for your glory. And that as I speak, that you are speaking to your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, tonight I want to share, we have been on a series around hospitality. How many of you guys have learned something about being hospitable? Good. I have to be very honest though and tell you that the first time whenever Pastor Austin asked if I would be willing to speak during the series, the series, um, I didn't like immediately think of scripture. I didn't immediately think of like this profound revelation that God had given me. But uh, some famous words by the famous poet, Fred Rogers came to mind. And this is what Fred says. He says, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? That's gonna be stuck in the head, your head the rest of the day. It's a neighborly day in the beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Could, would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've, wanted, I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Would you be mine? Won't you be my? You guys don't want me to sing. Aren't those incredibly powerful words? This call from this man who's awesome, who's not alive anymore, but he lived a profoundly impactful life. This call to be my neighbor. And when I think about hospitality, whenever I think about what does the church on mission welcoming into the, in the world, into their lives, it looks like not just us saying, when people engage in my life, I will be friendly and hospitable towards them. But what does it actually look like to call the world to us? Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? And I know that might be kind of silly. I'm just a silly little girl from silly wood. No, I'm just kidding. But, but I love that imagery that Fred Rogers painted with his life, that he didn't just, and if you guys have read or studied or watched the, the documentary about his life, a little cheat, you can go watch the film, right? You don't just hear these words, but you actually saw it depicted in his life. And I thought about what would it look like if the church actually lived that way, that we didn't just, again, encounter people along the way and say, oh man, it's good to see you, I love you, but we were intentional to invite them in. And I remember I was about 19 years old and so it was like last month. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. You guys don't know how old I am. I'm not going to tell you. All right. But, but I was about 19 years old. I was a janitor at Victory Life Academy and I was sweet. Yeah. Shout out to Victory Life. Great place to send your kids. Shameless plug. I was sweeping the floors and I was praying 
And I remember that, that those few years I was a janitor was such a formative year in my, years in my life because I learned how to pray. And I had nothing else to do except for like eavesdrop on all the teachers and pray. So I thought I should do the good thing and not eavesdrop on all the teachers. So I didn't always do that, but I prayed a lot. And I was praying and I felt the Holy Spirit drop this, this question into my heart. And I felt like he said, Sierra, would you stop adding people to your journey? And would you make your journey about people? I'm gonna say it again, okay? He said, Sierra, so you can fill in your name, would you stop adding people to your journey and would you actually make your journey about people? Because I think what happens is that we first encounter the love of God. And, and as we just even spend time worshiping and thanking the Lord for his love and we encounter his presence, we encounter his love. And from that, he begins to develop purpose and identity and value and giftings. And we begin to see his plan for our life. But sometimes along the way, it becomes about us. And it becomes about, this is the incredible thing that God has called me to do. And he has impact for me. And so I'm going to look at Jesus, but it's really about me fulfilling what he wants to do. But what I heard at 19 years old was this call of the entire journey is actually about me and my people. And it's really, it doesn't have a lot to do with you, but it's about him and loving him. And I love that it says in scripture that the world will know us by our love for one another. And that we as believers have this profound opportunity to have radical impact in this world through our love for one another. And so whenever I think about hospitality and I think about what does it really mean in partnership with us as a church on mission, it looks like us calling the world to Jesus by the way that we love them. And I have a passion to see the world come to know Jesus. I have a passion for the lost to be saved. But what I know is that begins in hospitality. And sometimes it can seem so simple. It can seem like, oh, that's just a good Christian-y word is we're supposed to be hospitable, so we're gonna do it. But what I know is that the way you love, again, has the potential to draw the world in. And if you don't believe Fred Rogers and you don't believe me, maybe you'll believe Jesus, okay? So we're gonna start tonight in Mark chapter 12, verses 28. And it says this, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing he had answered them well, he asked him, so this is Jesus had answered them well. So he's like, I'm gonna go ahead and ask another question. Which commandment is the most important? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. So this guy didn't even ask for the second, but Jesus knew if you're gonna get the first, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the second too, the secret sauce of it all. This is how I read the Bible. I, oh, the secret sauce, I better write that down. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no one besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbors as oneself is more important than all then whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. And Jesus said, saw that he had answered wisely and said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to question him anymore. Mic drop, Jesus left. He was like, that was it. But I love that, that, that in that moment, he says, you know, loving God, loving people. And the guy says, man, Jesus, you're right. 
And, and Jesus' response is, you're not far from the kingdom because there's something so critical to understanding the kingdom that we have to first understand God's love for us and our love for him. And whenever we love people that Jesus says, you are so, so close because I believe those two things, getting this is vital if we're gonna see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus says, it is so, you're just at the touch of it. You're so close to the kingdom because if you can understand love for me and love for my people, and if you surrender your heart to me, I believe that that is how we see his kingdom come again. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what I love is that you guys know, if, if you've listened to any of Pastor Jacob, that scriptures have all these hyperlinks, right? And that this scripture is related to somewhere else. So we're gonna quickly flip over with my one hand here. I have to, I have to tell you a secret. Are you guys okay if I tell you a secret? I request, not because I'm a diva speaker, but I request a handheld microphone because if not, I like talk like a crazy lady, like flying around. So this is actually for me. So I only don't move too much with my hands because I already moved too much with everything else. So, so you guys don't mind me flipping with my elbow. Okay, thank you very much. All right, Deuteronomy chapter six. Can we just put it on the screen? Deuteronomy chapter six. I'm almost there, you guys don't worry. Verses four through nine. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so this, again, is the exact same scripture, the beginning part of what we see, what Jesus quotes in the book of Mark. But this is actually a vital part of, of Jewish tradition, Jewish history, and even Jewish prayer life. This hero Israel that the Lord our God is one is what we call the Shema. It's a fun word to say. Everyone say Shema. Shema, and it's hear, O Israel, that is the Shema. And, and the Jewish people actually teach this to their kids. It's a part of their morning and their night prayer. But what I love is that when they say that, hear, O Israel, it's not just hear, O Israel, but it's actually translated to hear and obey. So whenever you talk about the Shema of God, to, to love the Lord your God, to know that he is one, to love him with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves, Jesus was so intentional to give them the Shema, something that they would relate with because he knew it's not just hear it and know it, but it's actually hear it and do it. And I think the call of the church in the hour and what we've been hearing about being the church on mission, that vital piece of integration is that we can't just hear it. We can't just know, yes, I love God and I'm supposed to love people, but what does it actually look like to begin to hear and obey? To take that practical step in obedience to say, like Fred Rogers, would you be my neighbor? Could you be my neighbor? Would you come into my life? And what I can tell you is that as we begin to make our journey about people, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. It can be a little bit challenging because you can't control people. You can't control what they're gonna smell like, what they're gonna look like, what they're gonna ask of you, how much of your food they're gonna eat, okay? I really like my food. And if you invite people in, it's all gone. I'm like, what happened to it? That's why I started inviting myself to other people's house, okay? telling you guys all my secrets tonight. But I think knowing that if we are gonna be the people who again are seeing the life of the world around us transformed through the love of God, it's not just hearing, but it's hearing and obeying. And I love this idea, I heard it recently, that, that as believers, 
we're not supposed to just be full of Shema statements, okay? So this hear and obey, not just, I'm gonna go around talking about God all the time, but we actually are to live a life, and not just a life of Shema actions. So I'm just doing, doing, doing. I'm hearing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. But if we're to live a balanced life, a life where the gospel is fully on display, it looks like we live a life of Shema actions and Shema statements. So basically you could say gospel actions and gospel statements, where our life is not just going and serving, 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 and we never mention the name of Jesus. And it's not just going and saying, Jesus, 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 and you never serve someone, but to actually come into a balance where we are serving and we're living in community and we're proactive to reach out and to give gospel actions to those around us. But in return, we know that opens the door for us to begin to share our faith with people. And, and if you do one without the other, if you begin to do just a bunch of Shema actions without the statements, it often just becomes about serving and often then quickly can become about you. And it can quickly become about you getting into just a rhythm of serving because it's a good thing. I know in my own life, there have been seasons I've served and it wasn't actually for the Lord. It was just because it was the right thing to do. And I can't say it was necessarily a bad thing. I'm glad I served rather than like did drugs. That was a good, good option out of the two. But, but how powerful is it? Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. How powerful is it whenever you partner, not just going and doing a bunch of things, but we can also, because then there's this other tendency where it's just a bunch of Shema, statements, statements, statements. I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, love the Lord your God, love the Lord your God. But my life and my character never actually shows it to this world that why in the world would they want something that I'm not actually giving them, that I can know it all day, that we can know the truth. I got to share at our Durant campus this past weekend. And, and recently the Lord has given me this picture of even bread in our hand and that we have all this bread and our tendency as Western Americans, as people who are following God in the church today is to try to hoard all of this really good stuff because we have so many options and there's shelves full of bread that we try to hoard and control because we don't wanna give away. But there's something so beautiful and we trust the character of God enough that we can actually begin to sow what he's given us. And our lives not only reflect him, but we're also bold to share him. And this balance of, again, we're doing these Shema actions and these Shema statements. And I've seen in my own life, all I have are my own stories to tell with you, but I've seen in my own life that whenever we step out and we serve, when we welcome people in, that it does open the door for the gospel. And I remember uh, one time I was, I was staying at a kid's home in India, and this was the moment that it like hit me the hardest of like, oh my gosh, the word of God is true in the life. And I remember I, I stayed um, in this room with all these cheeky little boys. They're like four or five, six years old. And they all love to like cause a little ruckus and be up at all hours of the night and like draw on my face. And you know, they're just, they're fun, they're kids. But I am not a mom yet. And so I really value sleep. And so I wasn't prepared for taking care of these children. There's going to be grace for that in Jesus' name when the time comes. I'm still praying. You guys pray for me. But, but I remember I finally had gotten them like laid down in their beds, like tucked away, and you put their little mosquito net over them, and you give them baths, and like boys are just gross. So I like gave them like four baths and then like put them in bed. And then I remember I just like laid down, and it's like first time all day long. It's quiet. No one needs anything. I'm like, Thank you, God. I was probably not even praying. I was just sleeping. And I heard, Sierra Didi. And Didi is like a term for like aunt or auntie. Sierra Didi. 
And I'm like, no, God, please, no. <laughs> Anything but that. Like, it's not me, it's you. Like, I was just going to, you know, anyways. But I heard Sierra Didi. And finally, I couldn't ignore it. And so I got up out of my bed. And one of the little boys in the home, his name was Rashid. His name is Rashid. And he, um, he has a form of autism. And he just loved to sit at the gate and watch cars go by all day long. And he said, Sierra Didi, water. And I'm like, Rashid, we just went to bed. Like, you don't need water. And he just, water. And then I'm like, oh, it's okay. So I get out of my bed. I'm like filling through the dark. I don't know if you guys do this. I do like one eye open at night. So I'm hoping like if I don't open both eyes, then maybe I'll stay asleep. So So I'm like filling through the dark. I like have to unlock the door to get to the kitchen and then have to unlock the gate. And then anyways, I finally get to the kitchen. I have a terrible attitude the whole time because I'm just tired and I'm thinking about me and not Rashid. And I get this water and I'm going back and again, really like, what is Rashid thinking needing water? I'm so tired. And instantly... I hear this, whenever you give, whatever you do unto the least of these you do unto me, even a cup of cold water. And I literally stopped in my tracks and I thought, oh my goodness, water, Rashid, Jesus, whatever you do, least of these, Rashid, least of these, Jesus, whatever you do. And I had this like moment of revelation and I got that water and I like walked into that room and I like lifted Rashid's head up on my little Rashid. I like to drink, he can drink this water, my spoy, like rubbing his head. No, I don't know if it really happened like that, but it hit me <laughs> that, that giving water to the least of these, in that moment, Rashid represented Jesus. And if you read in Matthew chapter 25, let's turn there. Matthew 25, I love this. It says, chapter 25, verse 31. When the son of man came in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as sheep, shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who, ble- who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Jesus's words to his church, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. And when I think about what does Christian hospitality look like? What does it look like for us to use our lives as an example? It's going and serving the poor. It's going and clothing the naked. It's going and spending time with that single mom who just needs to breathe for a second. It's going and going to your kids as teachers and saying, how can I serve you? Maybe a radical thought. Do you know your neighbor's name? Your physical neighbors. When was the last time you went and said, hey, can I just wash your house for you? I don't know what you do for your neighbors. (laughs) I wouldn't suggest that. Okay, can I just bake? I have elderly neighbors, so they just love if I bake them cookies, okay? They love just to sit and listen. I got Charles and Debbie below me. I live in an apartment. I got Rashid is my other neighbor's name. Isn't that a great name? And, And Rashid, every morning, 
We see each other. He's always smoking on his front porch. But Rashid and I know, and you bet I made Rashid Christmas cookies because he's gonna know Jesus. And those Christmas cookies are a seed invested in light of eternity. And my Shema action of giving him cookies, I know is opening the door that I got to share my testimony a few weeks with Rashid. And what I'm believing is that he's gonna encounter the love of God. And it's not, I'm not saying that to brag on me, but I'm saying that as a practical example of how simple it is to truly be the church on mission. How simple it is to really do to the least of these because what I know is that in the end, it's not about Charles and Debbie. In the end, it's not about Rashid. It's not about my other neighbor that I'm still learning her name because she's new. My other one moved away, okay? It's not about that, but it is about I am serving the King of Kings when I serve them. And what I want to tell you because my whole life, I, I prayed for compassion and I believe Jesus was stirred with compassion. But what I know is that your compassion for people won't sustain you when it gets hard. That what I do is I serve people because I've encountered the love of God and I want my life to be a just reward for the lamb that was slain. So really when I serve people, it's an opportunity for them to be glorified through Jesus, for him to get the glory they deserve. So the days that I wake up and I think, man, I'm just not feeling it today. I really don't wanna love people. I wanna sleep and stay in my bed. I get a bigger picture of, but more than that, I want God to say, whatever you did unto the least of these, you did unto me. So when I serve that neighbor or when I serve someone who doesn't deserve it, we're not serving them, we're serving the King of Kings. And I think if we're gonna be a church on mission, it looks like us allowing the Holy Spirit to paint a bigger picture of what serving and hospitality actually is. And it's really not about the person in front of you, it's about the person inside of them. And whether or not they have identified the King of Kings inside of them or not, what I know is that in you serving them, that they're encountering the love of God inside of you, that it's gonna stir up and awaken the love of God inside of them. Amen? Does that make sense? So when we talk about, again, these, this idea of Shema actions and statements and how to practically love people, I know this is probably not anything crazy new. This isn't some divine revelation tonight, but my hope is just to show you again how practical and simple it is to say yes to Jesus and live a life of hospitality. But as I was praying and saying, because I, I, I love to ask the question of, but what stops us? Because I feel like we can get a lot of revelation and we can know the word of God. I don't think anyone in here would look at me and say, Sierra, I think you're wrong. We shouldn't love people. Like, I don't, anybody want to say that? Okay. I don't think, oh, I would be scared. Maybe don't raise your hand too high, okay? I don't think anyone is thinking like, no, nah, I think what's not good, what you're saying. Like what God said, probably not true. Jesus, no, no thanks. Like you wouldn't be here unless you believed it. But in reality, we don't do it all the time. And in reality, we're not quick to love our neighbor and we're, we're quick to see people by the flesh. And so saying, God, what stops us from actually doing it? I felt like the Lord showed me that oftentimes, especially again in our, in our society, in our culture, what stops us is busyness and distractions. And that I can tell you that there are times and seasons of life when I feel busy and full and I walk through Walmart without seeing a single person. But then there are seasons that I am aware of the presence of God, more aware of his kingdom than what I'm aware of what's on my agenda, that I take a deep breath in, I let it out, and I go into Walmart mindful of the spirit of God. And so I think if we're gonna live this kind of life where, where Jesus is on display and we're welcoming people in, we're being a neighbor, it looks like number one, slowing down and seeing people. And again, that, that idea of it's not just adding people to your story, but what does it look like for your entire life to actually become about Jesus and the people around you? And I love, if you turn to John chapter one, I might've shared this here before because I just love this picture, but John chapter one, 
we see Jesus being baptized. And this is starting in verse 29. It says, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is him who I say, before me comes a man who ranks before, before me. And because he was before me, I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So this is John saying this. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to him, he on whom the spirit descends and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen it and bore witness that this is the son of God. I love this imagery of when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water, the spirit came, rested and remained on him like a dove. And if you have that picture in your mind of a dove sitting on your shoulder to rest and to remain, if you had a physical dove, I have a bird on my shoulder right now, in order to, for it to remain, how do I have to step? I have to step every step with the dove in mind. And I love that as a life of believer, to see the spirit of God rest and remain, not that we lose the Holy Spirit, but to be more aware of his presence and our presence, it looks like us taking every step with the dove in mind, with the spirit in mind. And when we talk about slowing down and seeing people, it's being more aware of the kingdom and his righteousness and his spirit than my own plans, agendas, and my, my thinking for the day. It's when I talk about seeing the person that has hurt me or the person that is offending me or the person that doesn't deserve the love of God. In that moment, it's saying, God, not my eyes for that person, but what are your spirit's eyes towards that person? Who do you see that person can become? And what I know is that as we begin to slow down and to see people, that we are a people filled with the Holy Spirit and power, that you have the desire, I believe, to love people, or again, you wouldn't be here allowing the word of God to be sown into your heart, but it's allowing, again, the distractions of life to become secondary to the power and the presence of God and to slow down to take time to see people. But I feel the second part in that, and this is key and even kind of where I want to land tonight, I believe it's not just seeing people because we can see people and have all kinds of thoughts. We can have all kinds of triggers, memories, hurts, pains, but I think it's seeing people with a purified heart. And I think if we're gonna be a people who truly love as Jesus loved, if we're gonna love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind and strength, and we're gonna love our neighbor as ourselves, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse and purify our heart. Would you turn to Matthew 5? Actually, I'll just say it. You don't have to turn there. Matthew 5a is my favorite scripture of all time. And it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And I believe whenever he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. It's not just seeing God for myself to encounter him. And it's not just seeing God in front of me. But I believe whenever our hearts are pure, we see God in every situation. So when my heart is pure, I see God move in my finances. When my heart is pure, I see God move in my family. When my heart is pure, I see God in the person in front of me. And I see his love and his power. But that takes time for our hearts to be cleansed and purified. And as I was praying for us, and again, praying for God, what stops us from living this kind of Shema lifestyle where you're fully on display in our talk and in our walk, in our, our hearing and our obeying? I believe the Lord challenged me to begin praying for some of you that, that our hearts would be cleansed and purified. And I don't just mean... And I think this is a part of it. Like, yes, from the junk of this world. Like, yes, if you are struggling with some kind of addiction or bondage, like, please get into a group of community where you can walk through that. Connect with the pastor, with the leader, with the prayer team. Like, allow your heart to be purified. But I believe something maybe that's more be, be, below the surface that we don't often deal with 
is our hurt from the past. And I think even something, maybe, maybe a, a thought for some of you, whenever you think about living this life of kind of openly handed giving out, there is a fear or a concern or a thought that arises of, but if I begin to live that way, people are gonna take advantage of me because you've given before in the past, but it's hurt you or you've given and you've been taken advantage of or you've sown your time and your efforts and your energy and you didn't see a return. But what I love is that Jesus was never scared of lack. He was never concerned that if I give away, then at some point I'm gonna run out and I'm not gonna have enough to give. But he lived this kind of Shema life where it was, again, everywhere I go, I'm aware of the power and the presence and the spirit of God that I wanna give out. But because my heart is pure for towards people that I'm seeing who they can become by the spirit. And I believe if we're gonna be the church that lives out that kind of love, it looks like taking time to allow our hearts to be cleansed and purified by the word and by the spirit, amen? And so what I want to do tonight is I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking because I believe that, that the work that the Lord wants to do is a heart work. And again, if we want to not just be the people who whenever someone's in front of us, we're nice and we're welcoming, I would challenge you to do that. But take that next step in hospitality and be proactive in inviting. Be proactive in saying, I know I'm not just going to ask, not ask you to come to my world, but I'm going to take time to go and to be in your world. And I'm going to invest my time, my talents, my treasure who I am inside of you. And so live out the gospel in front of you in a tangible way. Then it looks like us doing the deep work here in this moment. So when you're there and in that moment, you're seeing people by the spirit and that you're aware of your spirit. Does that make sense? So what I want you to do tonight is I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. And all of this begins with, we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. That's the starting place to live this kind of life of hospitality, to live this kind of life of love that changes and transforms people. And if you've been so distracted and busy that you haven't taken time to pause recently and just to be with Jesus, that's where I want us to start tonight. And again, as, as I mentioned earlier, we have a history with him. Every moment of your life, he has been present. And as we talk about allowing our hearts to be cleansed and purified so that we can see God, I believe right now the Holy Spirit's just gonna bring up maybe people or circumstances or events that, that have hurt you and that you've allowed unforgiveness in. Or maybe where that fear of if I give in that kind of way, I'm gonna be taken advantage of. Maybe the moment that that lie creeped in, and I believe the Lord wants to restore and he wants to redeem our love tonight so that we can love each other as we love ourselves, so that we can love God and, and see him redeem his people. And, and if that's you and you, you feel the Lord is just showing you that moment, or maybe you know there's an area that you just need to walk through forgiveness, I just want you to put your hand on your heart. And as you lock eyes with your savior, that Jesus is present, that he never leaves you, he never forsakes you. Father, I thank you that you are restoring our love. I thank you, God, that in this moment that we would be a people who forgive. I thank you that no matter what any earthly physical person has done to us, God, we know your love is greater and can restore and redeem in a moment, Father. 
So I thank you that no lie of the enemy would be more real than your voice in this moment, that your voice is the most real. And I thank you, God, that we would begin to see even those memories transformed by you, God. We would see you step in. And as you're praying this, I just want you to, to ask maybe in a whisper or just even in your mind, just ask Jesus where he is in that moment. Ask him to have eyes to see that person or that situation by his love.